This morning we once again return to our series, mini-series, I guess you could call it, entitled The Word, an Advent series on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the third Sunday of Advent, as you heard Rick remind us, uh, Gaudete Sunday, joy, the candle is joy, and we focus once again in this series from the book of John's Gospel, the first chapter, on the coming light of Christ as it's revealed in that first chapter of John's Gospel. We looked at the first week, the eternal word, then we looked last week at the enlightening word, and today we're going to be looking at the empowering word. Our scripture reading comes from John, verse 1, verses 6 through 13. The word of the Lord, hear it with careful appreciation. Therefore, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word of the Lord, blessed be his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again, we ask for your help. We ask you to enlighten our darkness, to understand more of the amazing truth of your coming in the incarnation for sinners such as we are. Father, once again, overshadow us and power overpower our stubbornness, our forgetfulness, our ungratefulness. Father, help us be filled with praise and glory and honor to your great name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1866, a missionary named Robert Thomas left China on a mission to bring the gospel to the people of Korea. At that point, the Koreans knew nothing of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a whole. And interestingly, Korean is, I understand, based on Chinese. And so, Robert Thomas took a bunch of Bibles with him in China, translated in Chinese, to give to the Koreans as his gift of bringing the word of God to them. Unfortunately, upon arriving in Penang, Harbor, his American ship got into a fight with the Korean ship, 
and the Coast Guard. And the American ship was destroyed, burned, and all aboard were killed except Robert Thomas. Somehow, in some amazing way, in the providence of God, he was able to struggle ashore carrying as many of the Bibles that he was bringing to the Korean people. And he, as he was exhausted on the beach, he began to try to put the Bibles in the hands of the Korean soldiers. And they proceeded to club him to death right there on the beach. Now, there is more to the story. It ends up later on becoming one of the factors that led to the great evangelization of the Korean people. But that day, to put it mildly, the Koreans had no idea of his true intentions in coming to them. They had no clue. And my friends, that is also true of when the true light came here. He came to his own, the ones he made, and yet there was so little understanding of why he came. Today I want you to notice four things with me in the text that we just read. The light represented, the light revealed, the light rejected, and the light received. Let's dig in. The true light represented. That's basically in the first three verses, verse 6 through 8 in our scripture reading. The word was first manifest or made public or made known in the arena of history by a man called John the Baptizer. He wasn't a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian because he didn't have those things. He was one who baptized and thus he's John and often referred to as the Baptizer. John employs language that really comes from a courtroom here as he's writing this in this chapter. He employs courtroom imagery and language. The baptizer was a witness, a witness to the light. Now what characterizes a witness? What, what makes someone a witness? Well, a witness is someone that is talking about something that he's either or she's either seen or experienced firsthand. Not secondhand or thirdhand or down the line. Oh, I've heard it through the rumor mill that this. No. Someone that has actually seen it firsthand or witnessed it or experienced it firsthand. Secondly, a witness is willing to testify that they have seen what they had seen or experienced. They were willing to, to go in, as it were, as a witness publicly to what they had seen or experienced. And thirdly, a witness commits oneself to the truth of what they have seen or experienced. In other words, they're no longer neutral. You know, we tend to like to be neutral. We don't want to get in on one side or the other unless it's football or something like that. We don't like to. We want to be neutral. But a witness can't be neutral. They've got to be willing to say, I've got to tell you the truth that I know and have experienced or have seen. 
And that is what John the baptizer is doing. There is a temptation for us, unfortunately, to view ourselves as more than just witnesses. But that's all that we're supposed to be. We're called to be witnesses to the truth that has impacted us, that has changed us, that we ourselves have experienced as Christians. That's what we're called to do, to witness. We're not called to raise the dead. We're not called to fix people. We're not called, we are called to witness to the only one who is the true light and life. Only representatives of the light is what we are. That's what we are. We're representatives of the light. We're not the light. We're not the source. We're the reflection. And we point to it. Our role is ever and always to point other people to Jesus. To point other people to the one who is the answer. To the one who is the light. And who is the truth in the way. Now secondly... The true light in this text is revealed. The true light is revealed in verse 9. Listen again. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now John is reminding us here that the true light from God was coming into the world. To bring True or genuine would be another word we would use. To bring genuine light into a world of incredible darkness. That is why Jesus Christ came. He came to bring light into this darkened world. Now, what does it mean in that verse where it says, which enlightens everyone? John is saying this light comes on everyone. But it doesn't have the same effect on everyone. This light, which enlightens everyone, John is saying that the true light has invaded the world, but the light also divides the world. It divides the human race. Into who? What parts does it divide the human race into? Some of those in the world, when the light comes will receive it. Others will reject it. Others will not receive it. So the light has a divisive impact because it doesn't let everything stay the same. It comes and says, believe it and receive it or not. There are those that will receive and believe the light, there are those that will not receive the light, not embrace it, and, not reje- and will reject it. You see, the light shines upon all, but all won't believe what it reveals. The light shines upon all men and women, boys and girls, but it, not all will believe what it reveals. Listen to this powerful passage from Romans chapter 1. Verses 18 through 23. This is what's revealed. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know the truth and yet they suppress it. They will not receive it. They will not embrace it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. They really know the truth but they will not 
receive and embrace it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. There's no one can say, I, don't, I didn't get enough light to know that there's a God. No, we instinctively do know It's in our conscience. It's written on us. But men reject it. Men will not receive it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Go to any and every other God, would-be God, any other hope other than the true and the living God who is the light of the world. People are making those choices, making those decisions every day, and they have been since the beginning after the fall. You see, a lot of people complain about all the hypocrisy in the church, and in Christians' lives. And you know what? they got a lot to complain about. We are hypocritical sometimes. We are not good representatives, good reflections of the God that we love and serve. But you see, in the last day, People are not going to have to be dealing with me or with you or with any other Christian in all of our frailness and faultiness and failure. That is true. It's what will they do with Jesus Christ? And then more aptly, what will he do with them? You see, it's not going to be the church. We're supposed to reflect and we should seek to reflect Christ as little Christ, but ultimately, people are not dealing in, in spiritually in this world with anything but any one person but Jesus Christ, because he is the one by whom God will judge all things. They don't need to be worried about how well we're doing or how well the church is doing. They need to be knowing, are they receiving and embracing the true light? Unfortunately, the light was rejected. Verses 10 and 11, listen again. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. Left alone, these verses are two of the saddest verses in the whole New Testament. The world which God made in verse 3 of John, did not know its creator, did not receive its creator. The phrase did not know carries the meaning that they didn't embrace him. They didn't receive him. And it's even sadder in verse 11 where we discover that he came into his own people and yet the chosen ones of God as a whole did not receive him. You see, verses 10 and 11 tell us something very important about the hearts of men and women in their sinfulness. 
And again, as you've heard me say before, we can be we can run from God and be uh, distance ourselves from God two ways. We can do it with abject rebellion, or we can do it with over overt religiosity. But in either case, we're finding another God. We're looking for another God, not the one that has been sent to us and given to us. In verse eleven. It show in verse, excuse me, in verse 10, we are told why the irreligious people reject Jesus, those who want nothing to do with him. Spiritually darkened and morally depraved. They want, they love darkness rather than light. They want to do what they want to do. They want to control their own shots, and they want to find life wherever they want to find it on their own terms, not on God's terms, not on Jesus's. Now, that's how the irreligious deal with the coming of the light. But there are those that were supposed to be the good guys. The religious. I was talking about the irreligious. But what about the religious moral people who ultimately end up rejecting Jesus because they want to be their own savior? They're not willing to come in their need and failure to Jesus and let him be their savior. No, they think they can be better. If they get in the right group, if they belong to the right tribe, if they can find the right group to identify so they can set themselves up as better than others, that's what they need and want. You see, the irreligious love darkness because they think it hides their sin so they can get away with their lying and their cheating and their stealing and their murder. The irreligious love darkness because they think it hides their sin. But unfortunately, quote, religious people, and I'm using that in a pejorative sense, because they're trying to find their way there without Jesus. The religious unbeliever loves the darkness because it makes him or her seem much better than others by comparison. It's a comparison game. It's always a compare. Most religiosity is a giant comparison game. Well, I'm not that, but I'm at least better than him. Well, well, we're we're not like we're better than them. Well, I would never do that. I find myself sometimes saying. I can't believe these people are lying through their teeth. And then this conscience hits me and I realize, oh, I may not be doing the lying, same overt way they are, but oh, I am a liar. So many times I hide and do not tell the truth in my heart. You see, The religious unbeliever loves the darkness because it makes him or her seem so much better by comparison. Let me give you an example. You know, if we were in this room, and uh, by the way, Christmas Eve service, we'll be uh, having some candles, and it'll be a little bit lower light um, setting. It's it's really beautiful and nice, and not to mention the beautiful music. But, you know, if if we were to, to light a candle and turn out all the lights in here, on the 24th of December at 5 o'clock. See how I got that in? Um, 
reminder, if we were to do that and we just shut off all the lights um, and then we put a candle, just a candle right up here on one of these candles and just had one of these candles, the Christ candle alone, just, just lit. Now, at first, it would be, your, your eyes would be, it would be some adjustment. But as time went on, you would begin to adjust the light. And you'd actually begin to see things, even with this as one candle. You'd be amazed at what your eyes would begin to adjust to and how much light that you would see. And therefore, you'd be thinking, hey, this is, this is, this is pretty good. This is light. And it that seems pretty good until someone... In the back, deacons all of a sudden throw the bank of lights on, and all of a sudden the whole thing floods with light of a different nature. You see, that's what the world is doing. They're trying to see how big a candle they can get, but that's all it is, a little candle. And yet they can say, well, my light is bigger than their light. My little light shines brighter than their light. But the light of God is a floodlight that comes and blazes light into a darkened world. There's no comparison. Candles seem bright until the floodlight is turned on. And that's what God did in sending his son. Jesus says the true light of the world came to expose the dimness of every other supposed light. That's what he came for. To show us how dim and pathetic and pitiful our little lights are. He came to show us how much we need that light. Not our own manufactured lights. That light. How we need the Savior. And no other light will do. Finally. Unfortunately, as we've seen that. Many have rejected the light. But the true light is also received. By themselves in verses 10 and 11, the world would be a very grim place because that would be without hope. But in verses 12 and 13, listen. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The end of the story is not the tragedy of rejection, but the reception of grace. The reception to as many as received him. Notice the promise. Those who receive Jesus, they are given the right, or depending on your translation, or power. Some of your translations, the RSV and the King James, use the word power. Uh, the The ESV and the NASB and some other translations use the word right. To become the children of God. Way we could say it would be this that kind of pulls all that together. That those who receive him are given the privilege or the right, the just right and powerful privilege of becoming the children of God. Those who receive Jesus are given the just right and powerful privilege of being a son or a daughter of God. 
You see, we should, should we think otherwise if we say, wow, that's great, man, me, son of God, daughter of God, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really doing well. I'm really smarter. I'm really glad I'm smarter than the average bear, you know, like Yogi Bear. Remember, remember he was always smarter than the average bear? Uh, you know, glad that I'm like, I'm smarter than that guy or that girl because I have the sense to know the truth when I see it and receive it. No, you don't. Didn't you read verse 13? Who were born, just in case you're starting to get the big head, yes, you have received the light and you've received him and that is good news, but you don't go around bragging about how smart you are and better than others. It's the same thing we were saying a while ago. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If anyone is ever saved, it's because God opened their eyes and brought the light for them to see. Just like Jesus did when he was here on earth, restoring the light of blind beggars. But this is a more important light. This is a more important thing that Jesus does in removing the spiritual the spiritual dark glasses from our eyes and cataracts that have covered our eyes and bringing us into the true light. You see, it does not come as a result of human relationships, of achievements, or of determinations of men. It's not by any of those things. It is from above that we receive it as grace. Grace upon grace. Now, don't forget, though the world does not know him, he will make himself known through many of us. That missionary, God made himself known through that missionary. He will and continues to make himself known through his people. With all our frailties and with all our failures, not because we're not good enough, we're simply forgiven enough that we can go and tell others about this light and how they can receive him. It's as simple as an act of faith to receive him to them. He gave the right, the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. My friends, then they will join with us. Those that believe and that receive God's invitation to receive the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will join us as bearers of Christ's empowering light. The light for all who receive him. Again, you know, a lot of you know it, Christmas time and Advent season. I love the... Uh, the uh, music of Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And um, one, of the, uh, fam- one of my favorite songs there, there's so many, uh, but A Star to Follow. And the last words just echo out over and over and over again. Ring the bells, ring the bells, let the churches ring the bells. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let his light shine on everyone. 
Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let his light shine on everyone. That's the reason the light came. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the light has come in your son. Father, next week we're going to, we're going to dive into that great mystery of the incarnation. But, oh, Lord, thank you for bringing the light, the light that we so desperately need in our darkness. Help us not to light little candles of our own, but, Father, help us to bask and bathe in the light that comes from above and from out of this world and that has come down to save helpless sinners like we are. And yet, Father, thank you for the promise that those who will simply receive you and all that you offer, Lord, they can be children of the light now and forevermore. And they need not fear the darkness. Lord, joy to the world because you have come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.